0: Hello everybody, welcome to the Body Serve, I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. We're coming to you with our Nature Valley Wimbledon preview episode. Brought to you by the Fever Tree Championships. <laughs> what is a Fever Tree? You get special discounts if you use the promo code Oats and Honey. <laughs> Which we all know is the second best granola bar behind the peanut butter one. Rubbish. Fruit and nut. <laughs> oh. Oh no. <laughs> First things first, we want to issue a very big thank you to everybody who listened to our last episode, which was our Pride special. It was a an important episode for us. You know, it, it was emotional doing it. Mm-hmm.
1: It was very important for us to get it right. And uh, we took a lot of care with it. And we really, really appreciate all of the feedback we received. It meant a lot that it seemed to strike a chord with people. So that's are you
0: it. Are you saying we got it right?
1: Well, I... <laughs> I'm saying we
0: tried very hard. <laughs> that's that's my role in life, to always take you down a peg. Oh, wow. When you get a little mm-hmm. bit too big for your britches. <laughs> so thank you, y'all. Now that we're into the thick of grass, the grass season, it's super short. You tweeted this week that we really need to have a, a master's plate on grass. We do. And I tweeted facetiously
1: to cancel Indian Wells, which was clearly a joke. Kind of like eat the rich. Uh, I didn't mean to elicit so many responses. You would not shed one
0: tear if Indian Wells went by the wayside.
1: I I would not. No, clearly well, Madrid and Paris are the masters that are are really the
0: most disposable. The more practical options. Exactly. And one of the major issues at play, apart from having the will to do it, is having a, a venue that's big enough to host. Mm a grass mm-hmm. court event at this point, right? We would absolutely love to see it. But in the meantime...
1: Right. <laughs> tennis, it's a different day in tennis. Three out of the four majors used to be played on grass. It is not so anymore. The upkeep is crazy. The sport seems
0: to have largely moved on. We're a little bit haphazard this episode. There, the episode is going to be two distinct halves. The first half being an etc. period where we will throw everything at you. Mm-hmm. That's been happening and what we, we deem you know, usable for the show. <laughs> <laughs> and cut anything that sounded too shitty in post-production. And then the second half will be a parsing through of the draws. And then we will be on our way.
1: Okay, so what were people talking about during this grass season? We haven't recorded an actual tennis episode since the end of Roland Garros. Mm-hmm. So we've missed three weeks of actual grass tournaments. That is correct. Let us catch up on the most important thing, Nick curios's, Lewd, lascivious
0: gesture at Queen's Club, the hallowed grass of Queen's Club. And in case you did not see it, this is just for the purposes of information, Mm -hmm. letting you know what had happened. Nick was on his changeover, and he had a bottle, a water bottle, a plastic one, and uh, he looked toward his box, and he started uh, Uh, shaking the bottle in a masturbatory fashion. Manipulating... The bottle? Uh-huh. In short, quick bursts <laughs> that culminated with a splash. Yeah. Yes. And then he drank it. <laughs> then he drank the bottle. I'm not sure exactly
1: who he was looking at or who he was trying to amuse. Robbie Koenig on the coverage said, well, that's a great place to start our Prime
0: Video UK coverage. That is the best thing that Robbie Koenig <laughs> has ever done on
1: air. Oh, my God. Okay. So Nick is clearly an immature dumbass. Like what? we
0: we know this, right? So let's get that out of the way. Before we get into that, though, Robbie Koenig really missed his opportunity to make Boomski really work. Oh my god! <laughs> it would have been the first time right? it really
1: worked. Okay, so we got out of the way. the The joke, while some thought it was funny, including us, was rather immature. What I don't understand is the total outrage about it, which I feel is a bit performative and lines up with where one's fandoms lie. You know, where your loyalty was before this event, it it hasn't changed.
0: Isn't that where we are with so many issues in tennis yes. at this point? And yes. we'll see it with the Serena seating issue to come. Uh, there's just not a whole lot of nuance in the discourses and also a lot of room for staying out of it you know folks well, feel yeah. compelled to opine one way or the other whenever something happens and uh sometimes you just got to sit it out you know this uh <laughs> nick was fined 15000 euro for
1: this this event this short episode and i i just have to kind of scratch my head at that i understand that it was on tv and it was
0: it was immature but 15,000 euro. What is the issue here? Is it a like an unwanted exposure to sex for kids? Is it? Is it? Do kids know what that means? And maybe it's a good Should entryway they? to explain to your children the joys of masturbation? <laughs> <laughs> that it can wow. be healthy? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about all that. <laughs> I, I see it as a, a dichotomy of ru- we're getting our feathers ruffled about this so-called lewd gesture that we put in the sex ca- sex category. Right. right. And then when we have people showing overt violent outbursts on court, it's like, oh well.
1: Or like physical aggression.
0: It's, what would you do if you're in that situation? Wouldn't you chop down her chair too?
1: Right. And with men, it's like, oh, boys will be boys. You know, Jared Donaldson steps to an umpire, gets in his face and tries to be physically imposing. Nick- Jack Sock it really just demeans every female umpire he's come across in the past few weeks, really. It's been one hit after another.
0: And so what is the takeaway then? Are you saying, well, that, that, that is just lewd, that is absolutely unacceptable. But if we're looking at it from the viewpoint of, you know, kids, the impressionable ones. But when they sit there and watch Jack Sock berate a woman like that, and you don't address that or uh, decode that for your child... What what which is more harmful? Ah. We are so desensitized to to violence in society, as opposed to sex. Agreed.
1: But if there are people out there who take issue with all of it,
0: yeah, then I I understand that. I totally get it. Button all your buttons. Right. Be be boiling hot in the summer sun. That's that's totally fine. I th-
1: I think th- what you are calling out is just the the hypocrisy of of objecting to one and not the other. Yes. If if both Nick's gesture and some of the more aggressive and violent episodes from players, they both make your blood boil, that's fine. I get it.
0: I did not have it in me to be outraged about this. Yeah. <laughs> <A bit. laughs> I mean, like, the, with really? everything that's going on in the world and in tennis like this, it was actually a bit of a respite. I know, right? <laughs> But then what about the folks who say, well, this is just one more in a long line of incidents for Kyrgios, right? Because like you said, this wasn't going to change somebody's opinion of Kyrios if you've already taken that that course of action. Right.
1: And I see a lot of, well, look at the misogynistic thing he did against Stan Wawrinka disrespecting Donna Vekic. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was three years ago in Montreal. He's done other kind of braddish things on the tennis court that people find annoying. Like and you're you're free not to like him. I just I have to resist this move to further criminalize someone, to talk about them in the language of criminality because he is brown, because he's this bad boy of tennis, but he's not given the leeway as other
0: less brown bad boys. To be clear, Kyros is just in your face with it. Like he doesn't give a fuck. And oh, that yeah. is his prerogative Some find it refreshing. I still haven't uh, kind of figured that out for myself. Not sure it matters, but to your point, let's be clear. The majority of the men on the ATP tour ain't shit. Some are just very down low about it. And for some of us, the way they present it makes it more palatable. And so we don't call it out. Mm -hmm. And so what is it about Kyrios that is just so affronting to folks? that makes his behavior that much more offensive than others. Mm.
1: And also he's just more famous. Mm-hmm. Uh, newspapers like to cover him because it's interesting. It gets clicks online. Someone like Pablo Cuevas, who mimics oral sex while staring at a female spectator, mm-hmm. uh, he makes lewd comments to female umpires like, that doesn't get a lot of play,
0: but Nick is the criminal. My bottom line with this whole thing is just, I do not want to hear this Curios thing unless you're coming for Jack Sock. Mm-hmm. Because at this point, his behavior is just a total fucking abomination. Oh, yeah. Andy Murray is back. He sure is. He has
1: won a match, he's lost two, but he lost two against a pretty stiff competition. He lost to Curios in Queens, he beat Stan Wawrinka pretty easily. Uh In Eastbourne this week, and then lost to his countryman, Kyle
0: Edmund. To be fair, Stan hasn't proven much of a challenge to anybody in his comeback so far. True. Andy did play well. He did. I'm a little,
1: I don't want to say concerned. I'm just observing his movement is not, uh, clearly not what it was, and I'm sure he's still a little bit iffy. Who are we talking about, Andy or Stan? Well, both, but Andy in this case. His lateral movement is a step slow. And I think that's to be expected. I, I'm surprised to see him back on the court this fast.
0: It's, it's been a while. I know. but I mean, he, it's been delayed many times. Well,
1: there were questions that he wasn't going to play the grass season, that he was scheduled to play Washington as his first tournament back. Those are rumors, of course. But I'm, I'm happy to see him back on court. And I want
0: him to kind of take it easy. You know, listen to his body and, and see how far he can go. The issue with all these players coming back from injury is that they're playing all these tough matches so early on. Right. Andy says that he's happy to do it because it'll give him a better test of where he is. And we'll see when we get to the draw analysis part of the episode that it's happening over and over and over again, where these top players coming back are met with tough matches. Mm -hmm. Roger Federer wins
1: title number 98 in Stuttgart. He regained his number one ranking for one week. And then moved on to Hala. Kind of everyone expected him to win the Jerry Weber Open as well, which he's won a bunch of times, nine. And his play wasn't as impressive that week. Made it to the final and lost to Borna Chorich, who is not a grass court phenom
0: by any means. But Borna has been putting in the work this year. Mm-hmm. And he is absolutely on the come up. What we've been seeing this year is Nadal and Federer flip-flopping all over the place with the number one and number two ranking. And so when Federer was unable to win in HALA, the 10th time he would have won that tournament, Rafa then reassumed the number one ranking. Mm -hmm. And we're going to see it again through the rest of the year. That's just the way it is.
1: And we've seen these two gentlemen trade back and forth the ranking as one of them were like on vacation or on an injury timeout. Or, you know, Rafa got the ranking back by not playing. Federer got the ranking back, uh, also not playing during the clay season. So there's still this huge gulf between 2 and 3 on the ATP side. And you wonder, as we go through the rest of the year, are any of Nadal and Federer's points going to come off? Is that gulf going to get
0: smaller? Well, Nadal, his main issue the rest of the way is the U.S. Open. Yes. And then if he's healthy and able to play... Well, through the rest of the year, he'll be in good stead.
1: Right. If he plays at all, really in the late fall, because he didn't really play
0: that much. Petra Kvitova, your tour-leading winner so far in the WTA, with her fifth title defending in Birmingham. If you recall, last year in Birmingham was the first tournament that she won since coming back from her attack. And while she's been unable to parlay that into the bigger events this year, she's just cleaning up the smaller events. Mm
1: I mean, she's won five titles on a bunch of different surfaces. We've got outdoor hardcourts, indoor hardcourts, she won on clay, and now here's a grass title. Could she add the grass title to her haul this year? She's won it twice before in spectacularly dominant fashion. There's no reason that she can't win it again. I was surprised to see her in Eastbourne this week because she is a leading contender. I was surprised that she was playing the week before. And she did pull out with a hamstring issue. I'm not sure it's an injury, but it was more like a precautionary, I need to be fresh for Wimbledon.
0: Before we get into the Serena Williams seating issue, which will lead into the the draw segments of the episode, I have a question for you. For me? Yes. What in the hell is going on with Boris Becker right now? (laughs) You think I know? This is crazy. Uh... Well, I'm,
1: okay, can you, can you inform folks what you're referring to now?
0: Allegedly, because we still don't know for sure, Boris Becker is now uh, an attaché, mm-hmm. an ambassador to the Central African Republic. And as such, he is now entitled to not be sued or taken yes. to bankruptcy court because he's a foreign diplomat. For, with diplomatic immunity. Mm-hmm. This is such a convenient turn of events. I love it. I he mean, was on breakfast television in Britain. A nice little segment explaining how many times he's spoken to the president of the CAR, how many officials he's spoken to, how many trips he's taken, what his exact involvement is. And he was pressed on whether this was just to evade the whole bankruptcy thing. He was like, no, I, this opportunity came about and I, I was bound to tell them <laughs> by law that I am a diplomat. Yes. And it just it just happened that way.
1: You know, whatever he is paying these lawyers, it is not enough.
0: They are good because then there are folks coming out from within the CAR government saying this is not so—that <laughs> his passport is fake. Yeah. Oh, oh I his, just read this a Washington Post. Yeah, I just oh. read this Washington Post article that his passport's fake. That there is no such portfolio within the government. That that job has not been assigned. Uh huh. But then the embassy of the CAR in Belgium said something to the contrary, that it actually is real. Oh, (laughs) So like, your guess is as good as mine. Boris is now saying like, well, that claim that my passport is fake is bullshit.
1: After watching his documentary, I don't know about you, but I came away feeling just a little bit for him because- Just a little bit? Well, the documentary was really biased in -hmm. his favor. Like it was meant to make us sympathize with him. And it was really presented from his side, right? It was propaganda. Um, <laughs> it was still entertaining. Yes, absolutely. And I don't, I don't really know enough about the Boris Becker story to to have a very strong opinion about it. But I don't know. Like, everything you hear is just like, oh my god, this sounds like bullshit.
0: Serena Williams is going to be seated 25th at Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. And folks are all over the spectrum of outrage and glee on this <laughs> issue.
1: Similar to before Roland Garros, there was a lot of coverage about whether Serena would be seated. Wimbledon is a bit different because on the women's side, they don't follow a formula. And most years, they go basically by the rankings. But the seating committee has the, the right to adjust the seatings if they see fit when there is a risk of not producing a balanced draw basically. Mm -hmm. So they they expressly state that they want the draw to be balanced, there is consideration for a rash of upsets, and seeds by nature are a way to privilege the best players. So you're saying it's
0: inherently biased?
1: It is. The seeding system makes the road easier for the best players. It's inherently unfair. You play well throughout the year to earn that seed, to earn that privilege. So that's what Wimbledon does on the lady side. There's no formula, but it turns out that the seating committee met and landed very, very close to where Serena would be seated if they had applied the men's formula, based on her grass court results. Again, we have the lead-up to a major being dominated by Serena Williams' return from maternity leave, whether or not she'll be seated, how high she'll be seated, and it is getting a little
0: annoying Hmm. to me. The first time we talked about this issue, we were like, well, yes, the women's tour, the slams, they need to come up with something because this is just not fair to women who want to have that work-life balance mm-hmm. in tennis. And then we came back the second time and we're like, well, we kind of see where other folks are coming from. But we've always come down on the side of something needs to happen, right? So we're, you're not going to get the outrage from us. We don't think that this is an issue where, oh, well... Of course it's going to happen because it's Serena Williams. Well, yeah, as it should. Mm-hmm. If if somebody, you have the top player in history, arguably, going through this, then she's going to be the one who's going to change something that, frankly, we think needs changing. So that's not an issue.
1: <laughs> well, it's just like it's a little bit silly to expect otherwise. And just because other women have been disadvantaged in the past that doesn't mean that we can't have this conversation going forward
0: mm-hmm. and
1: there can't be precedent set from now so again like we said a month ago the conversation is happening because it's serena that is clear that's something we have to acknowledge but does that mean that the conversation should not happen
0: think about this whole business of the american dream right people say well pull yourself up by the bootstraps you'll get there work hard make your dreams come true And people buy into that wholeheartedly. And it does not take into account for all the different structural, institutional disadvantages that are built into the system to stop you from getting there. And this is kind of what that is. You know, just because there are some women who have been through it and say, well, it's fine, I I didn't need to, I got where I needed to be anyway, doesn't mean that it shouldn't be there, Mm. you know? Yeah, RuPaul. (laughs) At the end of the day, once folks take steps to make this law within tennis, it's not going to be an issue. I absolutely believe right. that. Two, three years down the road, it's just going to be taken for granted. It's going to be expected.
1: One thing I think we should make clear is that Serena's seating is actually independent from the maternity leave policy. Like, it, it's actually not the same thing. Wimbledon decided to... Specifically at Wimbledon. At Wimbledon because Wimbledon. the US Open yes. has
0: said that they will be
1: having a maternity Yeah. At this tournament specifically, they've decided to seed her because that is their policy. They reserve the right to seed players if it will result in a draw that's that's off-kilter. They've done it in the past for Serena herself. They've bumped up her seeding dramatically in 2004. Um, they've bumped up Venus several times. They've taken Sharapova from outside the seeding range and given her a seed in the past. Back
0: when they used to fuck with Venus.
1: Right. <laughs> Before she humiliated them publicly over Mm -hmm. equal prize money, which proved the only way to change their mind, by the way. But this is not unprecedented, but when it gets wrapped up in the maternity leave thing, it gets really heated for people. I've been poking fun at this Azarenka comparison because I've seen this talking point over and over, and I want to know where people got it. Azarenka was ranked number five before she left. Why wasn't she seated when she came back from maternity? Okay, did you care then? Like this is this is literally a factoid that I have not heard until the past week, and so I've really obnoxiously compared to compared it to. Well, what about Chicago? The the right wing talking point about the violence in Chicago that the point is to defang any criticism about institutional violence, right? Mm-hmm, because it's obviously it's- a very
0: serious topic, and it was. I was being hyperbolic on purpose. But to explain the what about Chicago with respect to Black Lives Matter, folks then come back to say, well, why don't you care about black on black crime in Chicago? That's out of control. And so the reason
1: it reminded me of this is because, for one, it doesn't address the the first argument. Two, the violence in Chicago is something you really don't give a fuck about. In the same way, Azarenka's seating in 2016 or whenever was not something that you cared about. I never heard a single person complain about it. Now we have a chance to change things going forward, and there's, there's a problem. A big problem. Huh? Wh- when, when were people talking about this? And when the next one comes around, if it's a player
0: you don't like, are you going to be talking about it again? And fine, as the rank was dealt an injustice, why should that deter us from fixing it now? Right. Is, it, is your argument at large that this is not something that needs to be fixed? Mm-hmm. Right? Is My, that your argument? Not you, but... Right, right. My point is that a lot of this
1: discussion is just happening in bad faith on all sides. From the people who say Serena should be seated because she is Serena, I don't entirely buy that. I think that's in bad faith. And in the same way, this, this idea that Serena's getting all this special treatment because of who she is, I don't think that really holds water either. The point is, Wimbledon's seating policy has a built-in unfairness. As a matter of policy, that's that. We didn't invent it, nor did Serena. But players who have won the tournament several times before, who the seeding committee believes will pose a major threat at this tournament, they're going to get seated. And if
0: they're already seated, they may get bumped up. So in effect, Wimbledon was able to skirt by getting a two-for-one combo exactly, deal here. Exactly, because of their own policy. Because they didn't have to really address it, per se. But right. they still get the benefit of having Serena seeded 25th and people like, well, bravo! <laughs> exactly. They got to
1: seem socially progressive when they were really preserving the integrity of their tournament by not having some big seed knocked out early
0: or the risk of having Serena knocked out early. But the bottom line for us, though, because what the issue that's being attacked here is a woman coming back from maternity leave and getting seeding. Mm. Like, this is a an overall positive step don't you think and the fact that the u.s open has been preemptive to say that we will be dealing with this when our draws come out they may they may not have to Hmm. like what if serena has worked her way back to number 26 in the rankings by the u.s open do they then bump her up even higher that's another question
1: Oh, well, I don't know. That would take a big departure for the U.S. Open because they generally don't they don't mess with the seeds at all. I understand, but by I just right. want to know yeah. what
0: is the purpose and design mm-hmm. and the way in which this, this maternity leave seeding policy is going to be enacted. Right. And we shall see. I'm looking forward to it.
1: You ready to move on to the draws? Sure. Okay. We always start with the women and we spend a lot of time with them. So... We're going to flip it and start with the men this time. Roger Federer leads off the top half as the top seed. Has, I mean, a lot of people have been saying his draw is really easy, and I don't see any major obstacles in the first few rounds, but some of the big spoilers are are lurking around here. Number one is Marin Cilic. I think outside of, uh, well... There's Ryan
0: Harrison in his quarter. Stop. I mean, but still. If Federer wakes up particularly grumpy on any given day, mm. like Leovic is not a punk, nor is Leonard or Meyer in the third round. And then he gets his Hala conqueror, Borna Chorich, in the fourth round. Mm-hmm. Somebody who will be feeling his oats. Right.
1: Chorich is clearly feeling himself lately. He beat Sasha Zverev in his only match on grass so far this year. He beat Roger Federer in the Halle final, preventing Federer from winning Der Zenta, his 10th. Is that what we're calling La Decima for uh, the Swiss-German speakers? I literally have not seen this at all. <laughs> no, that's because I looked it up. Okay. how to well, say said, is, tenth this, and... is this what we're calling it? I, <laughs> I think this I is what, it? well, that's what Fed fans should have been calling it, right? I didn't see it anywhere. So you're mocking Fed fans. I'm saying they needed to brand it better. Maybe he would have won his <laughs> Zanta if... I'm probably not saying it right, but I can't really see Chorich beating Federer in best of five at Wimbledon. But he's maybe not the player he'd like to see in the mm-hmm. round of
0: 16. There's also those, those tree, tall tree dudes, Quarry yes. and Anderson. Yes. If they get to crack in those serves, they could be a, a handful.
1: I mean, no doubt, Querrey has had a shit year, but the past two years at Wimbledon, he's had very impressive results, so I really don't think you can count him out there. Gasquet could also make it to the fourth round. Gasquet, who won Sertogenbosch in the
0: first week Mm
1: -hmm. of of the grass uh, against Chardy.
0: Unfortunately, Gasquet is one of the least likely players to cause any ruckus (laughs) to any of the top players at this point in his career. We
1: know the script with Mm -hmm. Gasquet as well. Round of 16, loses to someone better. Period. Second quarter, I think Marin Cilic is the biggest threat. Outside of Roger Federer, Cilic is the biggest threat to
0: win this title. You, uh, you and everybody else. Oh, really? He is the third favorite, I believe. The second or third favorite. It's Oh, like the betting odds? Yeah, it's Federer, Djokovic, and Cilic. Fair enough. Cilic was the finalist last year.
1: He just won Queens. I mean, his draw is very doable. He could get Raonic or Pui in the fourth round. He could get Isner in the quarters. But, I mean, I see a semi semifinal, no problem.
0: There's just a lot of tall dudes in this <laughs> half of the draw, right? Do they all just come out for Wimbledon?
1: <laughs> look at Stefanos Tsitsipas. Just got his first Grand Slam win at Roland Garros and is now seeded. Number 31. Same with Borna Cioric. I don't believe he's ever been seated that high. Number 16, like, these are just rapid ascents. And I could see Stefanos kind of riding that wave. He could face, well he's seated to
0: face Grigor Dimitrov in the third round, and you know Grigor is in a slump again. In the bottom half of the draw, we've got Dominic Thiem and Djokovic in the same round of 16, Kyrgios and Zverev in the same round of 16. Del Potro and Goffin, and then Schwartzman and Nadal. Quite frankly, I don't think Rafa could have scripted a better Wimbledon draw for himself <laughs> to get wow. through to the quarterfinals. Yeah. Wouldn't you agree? So take a
1: look at Rafa's third and fourth round possible opponents.
0: Well, first round is Sela. Second round is either Pospisil or Kukushkin. And then his third round would be either... Chucky Nato, and then potentially Air Bear, Misha Zverev. We have a lot of clay court specialists
1: in Rafa's area. And over the past, what, probably now six years, these huge servers have been a big problem for Rafa and Wimbledon. By the time he meets one, it's kind of lights out. Mm-hmm. right? So this will maybe at least let him get his footing on the surface, gather up some confidence... Remember that he's won two Wimbledons. Cecchinato in the third is like basically the best you could have asked for as a third round opponent. That's what Djokovic said at the French open. (laughs) Right. There could be Fabio Fognini or Diego Schwartzman in the fourth round. Fognini obviously is going to go balls to the wall against Rafa no matter what surface, but he's not particularly
0: adept on grass. He is playing some of the best ball of his career though the Mm. last few months. If you recall, Rafa made it to the round of 16 last year again and looked fairly good against Gilles Muller. Yeah. I still believe that. And it, he just was not una- He was just not able to overcome the serving matrix.
1: I think also he was concussed. I really do. <laughs> like, I don't think he was thinking out there because he busted his head on that
0: doorframe. Okay. In that same half, we have Andy Murray as kind of a floater.
1: Yeah, okay. Well, look at that little section. Andy Murray starts off against Benoit Per, which, not great. Benoit on grass, I
0: think Murray gets through, but it's not the ideal
1: unseeded player.
0: And then he plays Shapovalov yeah. in the second round, before potentially having to play Del Potro in the third round, and then Goffin in the fourth round, and then Nadal in the quarterfinals, and then Djokovic potentially in the semifinals. So <laughs> right. this is a this is a <laughs> a tough ask mm-hmm. for Andrew Murray. Assuming the draw doesn't fall apart around him. Right. So this bottom half is very stacked
1: if these players play up to their potential. But we have some people like Murray, like Djokovic, not where they were three years ago. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, coming back from long layoffs. In the third quarter up here, we kind of breeze through that. But I think the... Possible Edmund Djokovic third round is very interesting. Kyle's going to be at home. He is skilled on grass.
0: He beat Andy this week. He's skilled, period, at this point. We need to disavow the notion right. that Kyle Edmund is not somebody who is formidable. Mm-hmm. Because he's proven it. Semi-finals at the Australian Open, playing well on multiple surfaces, playing the top players well. And he has beaten Djokovic this year. And he just beat Andrew Murray. Why right. am I calling him Andrew Murray? <laughs> <laughs> that's Sir Andrew Murray to you. What I will say is that I think this is the quarter that's going to have the... The shocker? Not necessarily the shocker, but it's going to be wide open by the end of it. I, I'm, it's really unpredictable because
1: then you have Nikirios down here who could face K. Nishikori in the third. Uh, he could face Sasha Zverev in round of 16. But Zverev has to get through Demir Jumur, who is currently in a final on grass in Antalya.
0: This is the section where we could have the reemergence of Bernie Tomek. We could have the bust out of Karen Khachanov, We could have Nick Kyrgios doing the thing.
1: <laughs> right, and interestingly, Kyrgios has only reached two rounds of 16 at Wimbledon ever. That's his mm-hmm. best result. Obviously, he can do better on the surface.
0: What are some of the early round matches on the men's side that you're looking forward to personally, Ernest Gulbis is back in a, a main draw of a slam for the second time in a row. I believe he made it at the French Open mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. But he's playing better ball. He's doing the hard work on the Challenger Tour and uh, building himself back up, maybe for one last push in his career. He gets to play upcoming British fellow Jay Clark in the first round. That, that might be a match that you go on the outer courts and just sit down and enjoy. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Novak Djokovic drew tennis Sangren, which I'm looking forward to because tennis will likely be out very early in the tournament. We we blew past uh, Malfi's and Gasquet. Mm-hmm. That is the first round. So actually, Richard Gasquet's third slash fourth round is not is not yet written. We
0: we told you about Benoit Paire and Andy Murray. They're playing in the first round. Dominic team may have a tough ass against Marcos Bagdatis. I don't think he's. Uh, you never
1: know. You never
0: know. I, right. Uh, Davi Ferrer plays Karen Hachanov in the first round. Uh,
1: TFO Verdasco, mm-hmm. I think is interesting. And Raunich and Liam Brody. More so because Liam Brody has been rebuilding his ranking quite a bit over the past few months. Has gone up like 200 spots. And he is, well, I think like one of two woke male tennis players on the circuit. Other than his countryman, Annie Murray. Well, we also know about Yannick Hanfman as
0: well. Oh, like, right. Yeah, these they're he keeps players. In. Yeah, they're these players who they operate below the surface, mm. you know, because of their lower ranking. People don't pay that much attention to them, <laughs> but some of them are out here saying stuff on Twitter. If you pay attention, Brody has been saying stuff for a long time on Twitter now, and he was just interviewed ahead of Wimbledon, and that story blew up, being retweeted by Billie Jean King. Mm-hmm. His profile is as big as it's ever been.
1: Billie Jean King said, thank you for being so supportive. And he said, I don't, you know, I don't expect to thank you. But it, like, it does mean a lot to people like us to have someone out there supporting us because there's so much bullshit out there. You know, Mm -hmm. there's so many people disrespecting women's tennis and calling it trash. And he's someone who is well-placed to say, you know what,
0: they work just as hard as us. Why shouldn't they be paid? There are folks who talk circles around you to try and explain their fuckery a la Stakovsky, and we give them passes and yet we're not supposed to pay attention to this. Like, I, I get that somebody like Brody, a man, is doing the bare minimum, that a man should do. And the idea that we shouldn't be, you know, praising men for doing the bare minimum, this isn't the bare minimum, but you get my point. It's like,
1: well, reward good behavior.
0: Exactly. Like, <laughs> you know? We are in dire times. So when this happens... Let him have it. And he doesn't seem to be letting it go to his head. No. So, good on him.
1: But also, when Liam Brody puts the equal pay thing so simply, you wonder why certain top players who are very rich and very smart cannot articulate it in the same way.
0: Yeah, because they see their cut of the pie being diminished.
1: Roger Federer, Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal. Those are the three people I'm talking about. Okay. On to the woman. All right. Simona Halep has not played since the French Open. Don't blame her. She's obviously celebrating and soaking in all her parades and extravaganzas back in Romania.
0: Enjoying time with her niece. (laughs) She
1: is the number one seed on the women's side. She is leading off a quarter that includes Yelena Ostapenko, Maria Sharapova, Petra Kvitova, Joanna Conta. It's not easy. Ostapenko's ranking has obviously dropped a little bit after failing to defend her winning points last year at Roland Garros. She's down to number 12 and draws Petra Kvitova in the fourth round, which likely would not have happened if her ranking didn't drop so significantly.
0: Yeah, it's still not a big deal, really.
1: Well, <laughs> no, facing Petra is a big deal.
0: Well, yes, but I'm just saying... On the women's side, when you get to the fourth round, you should expect to you expect yes. to get something cumbersome.
1: That is true. Penko is defending quarterfinal points here, but
0: there are some serious barriers standing in the way. Listen, you're talking about Astapenko Kvitová without even talking about Astapenko Sharapova in the third round. Right. <laughs>
1: that is true. That is a big barrier. Simona Halep could face Pavlyuchenkova. Um, in the fourth round, she could face Joanna Conta, who was the runner-up in Nottingham, to Ash Barty. I can't wait to talk about Ash. <laughs> Elise Mertens is actually seeded to make the fourth round against Simona Halep. So we shall see if if either of those players make now it. Listen,
0: I think you you have to back Kanto to get to the fourth round in that situation. Mm-hmm. Because this will be a rematch
1: of one of the more memorable matches of the past five years. Hallep Kanta in the quarterfinals
0: last year. And Kanta made it to the semifinals. Like, with all that pressure, she made it to the semifinals mm. of Wimbledon last year. So she is not somebody without pedigree on grass.
1: Oh, absolutely. And you know, she loads up her schedule. She plays three tournaments before Wimbledon. Like, she plays her ass off during the grass season. It's at home. She gets a lot of good press. But do you think that Kanta is more ornery this year? She had sure. that incident against well, Ash Barty, uh, disagreed with a very important line call, and basically pulled a Martina Hingis, refused to come back on court for the trophy presentation, or at least delayed it.
0: I would say delayed. <laughs> You're looking to be mm-hmm. messy there. She delayed it. It seemed to me that in the moment, the press was going off, like oh they sure they love circling it, the wagon. Yeah, but. In, in fact, what she needed was a minute to collect herself. Okay. Because she was... I mean, think about it. Do you go collect yourself or do you go chop down the chair? <laughs> well, if those are the options, <laughs> you know, she like, made the right choice. This is one of those instances where I feel like maybe we give the player the benefit of the, benefit of the doubt in terms of the high-stakes emotional aspect of playing elite tennis. Mm. And listen... I we've said
1: this before. We both think that she seems like a lovely person, and she's been very gracious and what's the word? Accommodating, generous, generous in press. I don't think she's she's a bad gal at all, but she has seemed a little bit more on edge lately, mm-hmm. and I I wonder if if something is like cracking. If she feels like this. she should be doing better than she is, and it's catching up with her, and her frustrations coming out in, in ways that we thought were uncharacteristic.
0: The press machine will eat you up at some point mm. or will change you. We've seen it with everybody throughout their career. Folks will probably want to say that Federer hasn't. Nadal definitely has.
1: No, yes. You know,
0: like, yeah. There comes a point where you kind of just have had enough. And whether that dovetails with, a dip in your own results probably it's I feel like it's a natural course of action and it was why we were saying well gosh I hope that Naomi Osaka never changes that we hope she never gets to a point where she feels that she has to close herself off to the media because it kind of seems that it's it's inevitable maybe that's what Joe's going through right now and perhaps a nice cute result at Wimbledon will will change things back turn the Titanic back around if you will (laughs) I'm never. I'm not going to stop using that Amy Grant reference.
1: Yeah. When you reference. when you use that reference in a tweet a few weeks ago, I thought it was just a cute reference to you know the ship, the Titanic. Have you ever heard of it?
0: Yeah, it's metaphor. So, so you it's asked me.
1: Do you ask me? Do you understand that reference? I'm like, yes. I I'm familiar with the boat that that sank. Mm-hmm. And if it had turned around, it wouldn't have hit the iceberg. But apparently it was also an Amy Grant song. Yes, in like the 1992. Early 90s. Yes. Moving on, mm-hmm. Garbine Muguruza is running the second quarter here as the number three seed. As we know, she is a defending champion. She, I think, won one match on grass this year and then lost to Streetsiva. But, you know, as you know, the tune-up tournaments are really not... Indicative of Muguruza's mm-hmm. level. Like,
0: they never are. And did you see her at the Taste of the Thames or Tennis oh, on the Thames? Oh my god. Lord, she has Giving never you gender looked fuck realness better
1: she, ever. Like, like, stunning. She was serving for the lesbians. Mm. She opens against Naomi Brody. She could face Contavite in the third round. Look who is lurking in the fourth round. But Nottingham champion Ash Mm hmm who beat hometown girl Joanna Conta in the final. Barty was also the runner-up last year in Birmingham to Patrick Vitiba. I'm just eternally, like, more and more excited about Ash Barty. I love watching her play. I just want such good things for her. And did you know, you may not believe this, she has never won a main draw match at Wimbledon.
0: You know, I did know that because you told me that already.
1: Despite being so proficient on grass. This Now is the time.
0: Well, I mean, she opens against Vogela, Then she gets potentially Bouchard in the second round. Mm-hmm. Kazatkin in the third round. And then Muguruza in the fourth. So, it's it's not an easy path per se. It's not easy, but it, it could be worse. But we are at the point where Ash is that chick. Do you know what I mean? Like, she is she's the one with the pedigree. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. She is the one to beat. Anjali Kerber,
1: the number 11 seed... Former finalist here, reached the semifinals in Eastbourne, just lost today to Caroline Wozniacki.
0: Man, this pisses me off. What? Vera Zvonareva gets through qualifying, makes her first Grand Slam main draw since giving birth to her own child in 2016, and mm-hmm. probably a long time even before then, because she's been away for a while. She makes the main draw and gets Angie Kerber in the first round. Like, come on, <laughs> right? Kerber could face Osaka in the third. Did you see
1: Naomi at the players' party or some event? Yes. Oh
0: my god. That blue flowy pattern yes, dress? that
1: like floral print dress with her hair all curly. She looked unbelievable. That's clearly beside the point here.
0: I don't know what to make of that whole quarter. Like, anything could happen. Safest bet is Muguruza versus Kerber.
1: Right. But you have Caroline Garcia down here who faces Bencic in the first round. So I feel like those two are kind of of a similar generation. They're both expected to do huge things eventually. And Caroline has sort of passed Bencic by for the time being. But I think there are a lot of young players in this quarter who could make a lot of noise.
0: Okay, like we are past Garcia and Naomi being young players who could make some noise. Okay, fine.
1: But Alison Risk, who is known as a grass court specialist made the quarterfinals in Sertowinbosch and Mallorca, and faces Bachinski in the first round, who's back. And she could face either Benchich or Garcia in the second. Who are these Risk. young
0: players you're talking about, is what I want to know.
1: Okay, forget I said young players. Everyone is young compared to us. <laughs> Except for Veres Von Areva, who is <laughs> She's older. the same age She's me. She's older than me, by the way. Same age as
0: me. Isn't she 33? <laughs> yeah, yeah, You are rude.
1: <laughs> now, things get very interesting in the bottom half here. Karolina Pliskova is the number 7 seed on the top here, but her third round, she's got a a really tough one here. First of all, there's a first-round match against Buzarnescu and Sabalenka. Sabalenka is currently in a final in Eastbourne facing Wozniacki. When this comes out, we will probably know who won already. Buzarnescu reached the semifinals in Nottingham, I believe, losing to Petra Kvitova. Buzarnescu obviously is somebody on the rise, has a seed now, is reliable. She's been playing some of
0: the most consistent tennis over the last 12 months. Mm -hmm.
1: Bottom line. So Pliskova could face one of those players in the third round, which I feel like is is expected based on the ranking, but it's still, you don't want to face them. And then if Venus gets to the fourth round, there she is, a Pliskova-Venus rematch, which is something I both do
0: and don't want to see. Even before then, there's potentially Victoria Azarenka in the second round, which, given Vika's form lately, not necessarily a worry for Pliskova. But on paper and on name, mm-hmm. it's a it's a big deal for a second round match. And again, the players coming back from injury or maternity leave, they're having to go the hard, long yards early on. Right. If Venus is to get to the to the quarterfinals, she's likely to have to beat both Pliskova sisters, Christina in the second round, to then play Kiki Burtons in the third round, and then Karolina Pliskova in the quarterfinals.
1: The other section here is pretty interesting to me, because Sloane Stevens, who is a number four seed, Mm -hmm. think about that, from being not ranked, or like what, 900 or something last year, so she's still gaining points. This is the last tournament I believe that she can actually gain more points now. She's, she's still not defending anything. She will face Donna Vekic in the first round. We don't know how Sloan looks on grass. She hasn't played a warm-up tournament. But Donna Vekic is not the player you want to face if you're trying to get feel your feet under you on grass. I think that Sloan is still a safe bet to get through, but it, it's not easy.
0: If she's playing well, that's a pretty decent section for her.
1: Right, if she gets past the first round, Zhang is the other seed, um, we've got Gerges, Streetsova, who opens against Kuznetsova, Monica Puig opens against Gergis. You know, it's looking like either a Gergis or Sloan, or maybe Streetsva quarter final. That's that's pretty big. What do you mean by big? I mean that'll be big for any of those players, I think. Mm. Even Sloan. And then the quarter that will be causing all that conversation. <laughs> Whatever do you mean? Because you were curious where Tatiana Maria landed? Huh. Hilarious. No. She was the winner of Mallorca. She faces the number five seed, Fidelina in the first round. But I think what you were referring to is where the number 25 seed landed, mm. Serena Williams. She's going to face Arancha Rus from the Netherlands in the first round, and she's seeded to face Fidelina in the third um a lot of people are saying that Serena's draw is easy. A lot of haters are saying she got everything she could have possibly wanted. The seed and an easy draw. I'm not I sure
0: how Svidling in the third round know, is yeah. easy, considering that's where she's historically played to and a little bit beyond. Right. You know, like like the number she f- wins those matches. The number five
1: seed in the third round I wouldn't say is easy. Madison Keys is not easy if Rabarakova happens to get to the fourth round. That's not easy either, because she was just the runner-up in where? Birmingham, lost to Kvitova, and beat Colleen last year to reach the semifinals. Um, So it could be harder, yes, but I would not call this easy. Colleen opens against Siniakova, who beat Azarenka at Roland Garros. We know that Colleen reached the quarters last year. She's got a lot of points to defend at the majors from last year. And I don't know. We'll see where she's at. she You really just cannot
0: count her out on this surface, ever. Wozniaki opens against Lepchenko. And uh, in the third round, she likely will get Radvanska, who is back, mm-hmm. playing decent ball. Yeah, better than she expected. And better than we
1: expected, I think. I'm,
0: I was now ready for Aga to be done winning tennis matches. Yeah. So welcome back. I think she's actually somebody who could make some noise here. Agreed. There are a lot of wild cards in that quarter. Absolutely. We've
1: got, I mean, Sevastova Georgie is a cracker of a first round. Sevastova was the finalist in Mallorca. She's won the Mallorca Grass Tournament once, and she's actually been in the final all three years that the tournament has been held. Georgie is just a spoiler and can knock the shit out of the ball on any given day. Alexander Krunic won Sartogenbosch on the women's side. She gets Madison Brengel in the first round. Mm -hmm. So this, I mean, this quarter is really difficult to call for me. I want to say that Serena will get through, but who
0: knows? There are, there are a lot of obstacles here. We're not going to do any predictions. What I will ask is what? who are some of the players that you expect to make a deep run, be it to the quarterfinals or semifinals, that you may not necessarily expect? Who could surprise at this Wimbledon? Mm-hmm. Like who
1: I think will or who could? Either because my, my predictions last time were
0: terrible. I say Radvanska or Krunic will make a deep run mm. from that same quarter of the draw. That's my one pick on the women's side. I think
1: that Tatiana Maria is going to dump Svitolina in the first round. She's going to dump her?
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: On the men's side, I think that Nick Kyrgios is going to make the semis. That's my wild prediction.
0: It's not very wild, is it? It is.
1: Djokovic and Sasha are in the way. And I'm going to go with Kyle Edmund.
0: All right. I like it. Well, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think we have anything else to say. No. We'll be back with a mid-Wimbledon episode. And uh, in the meantime, enjoy the tennis. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John.
1: I'm James. I'm at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. Check out uh, our Pride episode, which came out last weekend. You can find that via our Twitter, at The Body Surf,
0: or iTunes.
1: You know, well, you found this one, so you can find the previous one.
0: It's not just a Pride episode. It's specifically a partial history of LGBT folks in tennis.
1: So we recap stories that you may know, some you may not. Celebrating the people who did the thing back when doing the thing was not easy. And it's still
0: not, by the way. Till next time.